Welcome to Embrace the Musica, where we're going to dig into the raw, vulnerable, tough, and beautiful pieces of this journey called life. I'm Dominique Dines, who at the age of 21 moved abroad to Mexico to start teaching after growing up in a small town in Minnesota. My husband is from Peru, and we met salsa dancing 10 years ago in Guadalajara, Mexico. Here we are today raising two lovely tricultural kids. We speak more Spanish than English in our home and do a lot of salsa dancing in the kitchen. Embrace the Musica is going to be a place where we talk about what it's like being married to someone from a completely different culture, living in a place that neither of us grew up in, being a working mom, constantly fighting or accepting cultural norms, and all the things that keep us afloat, which includes a lot of heart and humility. So let's embrace the Musica today. Welcome everybody to Embrace the Musica. This week I have yet another bestie that I've invited to the podcast. My friend Kristen Farrow is joining us today and I truly feel so blessed to have a wonderful community here in Guadalajara of strong, smart, and lovely women from all over the place. Kristen and I met 13 years ago, I believe it's because we were both in the same Masters of Education program at the school we both work at, but Kristen can confirm that detail. <laughs> but Kristen is a dedicated educator, an amazing mom, and a woman that I've admired for so many years. So Kristen, welcome to the podcast. As we get started, I was thinking about your story, and I know that Mexico wasn't your first experience abroad. Can you tell us a little bit about your childhood in Saudi Arabia and how that may have shaped your story or desire to move abroad? Sure, Dom. Thank you for inviting me to be on your podcast. Um, so yes, that is true. I spent the first nine years of my life in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Um, before I was born, my dad um, took a job with Saudi Arabian Airlines. He was a pilot as a financial opportunity. And so um, he went with my mom. And when I was born, um, we lived on a compound with mostly international people from all around the world. And I went to an international school where my mom also worked as a teacher. So I think that uh, experience definitely shaped who I am today. Um, some of my best friends growing up were from Korea, Australia, um, the US, just all over. And I think growing up in such a different country um, was a unique experience. So like I said, um, spending the first nine of years of my life there really shaped who I think I am today. My parents um, are pretty conservative in the sense that they're, they tend to be more comfortable with the familiar, with what they know, but I've always sort of been drawn to different experiences, to traveling, to multicultural um, things. And so that's always kind of been a calling of mine to sort of seek out the different. I love that about you. And I love that you spent your first nine years in a completely different culture and place. And I truly believe it did shape who you are today because I do know you pretty well. Um, so mm -hmm. when you were nine then, did your family move back to California? Yes, then um, I spent from nine to 18 in San Diego. Okay, and I know we've talked about this before, but you were a teacher in California. And if I remember right, you worked in Monterey, California. 
Um, can you just tell us like how teaching in the States was and then what made you decide to um, come to Mexico years later? Yeah, so I moved up to Monterey, California to go to college. I went to California State University in Monterey Bay. And after graduating there and finishing the teaching program, I um, had, you know, interviewed for jobs in the area and I had two job offers at the same time. One was to work at a little school called uh, Bayview, I think it was, and it was right in the center of Monterey overlooking the beautiful um, bay there. And it was kind of a harder school to get into as a teacher and as a student. Um, and I, then I also had a job offer in a little town called Soledad. And that was about a 50 minute drive from where I was living. And it was next to a big state prison. And to get there from Monterey, I had, you would have to drive through the agricultural fields where much of the food, the, the produce in the country is produced. Um, most of the students were, their families had recently immigrated from Mexico. And a lot of them were working in the fields or other kind of lower paying jobs. And for some reason, I, I was really drawn to that school. I couldn't really explain it logically. Like it kind of made more sense to take the school, to take the job, you know, so close to where I was living. And in a lot of ways, that would have been the easier choice. But for some reason, I was really called to work uh, in Soledad. And so that's what I did for four years. I worked there um, with that population. And it sort of introduced me to this world where I was the different one. Like most people around me were <laughs> speaking Spanish and um, from like the Mexican American culture. And so a lot of my good friends at the time were from that too. And I I had one good friend, Angelica, who we would go salsa dancing every Wednesday. We would drive all the way to um, San Jose, California, which was like an hour and a half drive. We'd stay out till like two in the morning and then somehow I'd get up at like 5.30 and go to work the next day. And it was, I was happy there. It was great. You know, it was um, a lot of new experiences for me. Uh, and and I did really love working at that school for those four years. <laughs> that brings back a lot of memories for me as well, just thinking about our early days teaching in Mexico back, back in our 20s. Um, so fun. But I never knew that story, Kristen. I didn't know that you had two different job offers. And as you were talking, I sort of got the chills. Like, I love how you decided to follow your heart on that and go to Soledad. That's really cool. Um, and I'm just curious, do you think um, part of the reason that you came to Mexico is because you had been working um, at a school, like you said, with many Mexican-American immigrants? Yeah, I think that was definitely why. Um, through that experience, I mean, I definitely went to schools that were fairly diverse. And so I did have you know, different, like I did have Mexican-American um, friends and things like that, but not to the extent that I was really surrounded by that culture. And um, so I was 
like I mentioned, just going out salsa dancing. I mean, I was ter a terrible dancer, <laughs> but I had so much fun and I was so, I loved the music. I loved hearing Spanish all around me, even though I couldn't understand it. I loved seeing that um, there was like this whole other culture, this whole other subculture of where I was living that was so beautiful. And yeah, so I definitely, when I looked into teaching abroad, I had a friend that was looking into going to Africa and I thought that was just a really cool experience she was going to have, but I really wanted to go to Mexico or a, a Latin American country and learn Spanish because I, I definitely felt that was something I couldn't ever really communicate with the parents of a lot of my students because of the language barrier. Um, and I knew not being able to speak Spanish at all did kind of cut me off from from being an insider in that community. So that was another main reason. Um, so I always imagined that I would live in Mexico, be able to understand the culture more, learn some Spanish, and then go back to California. Now, I didn't ask you this before, and I guess I don't know. Did you not learn Spanish until you moved to Guadalajara? I had taken language, you know, I had taken classes in high school and college, but to be honest, they were my hardest classes. I was never really like passionate about learning it. And also it was something that was hard for me. And because in other subject areas, I was a good student. I, you know, didn't know about growth mindset yet. And I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to make mistakes. I didn't want to sound dumb or whatever. So that it was sort of a fear of mine to, to practice it. And so I did want to learn it, but it was also scary for me too. Um, so I, I never really spoke. When I came here, I did not, I was not able to understand people very well at all. Um, I think it did help me once I started trying and practicing, like having taken the classes, but no, I was, I did not speak Spanish. Yeah. Wow. I, I don't remember that because now you're so fluent. I would never even like think, but it's crazy how life works, right? And to see where you are today and what brought you here. Yeah, and it's, I mean, to be honest, it's something that I'm, I'm still working on because yes, now I do speak Spanish, but it is something I still, because I'm so surrounded by English speakers, um, really, I only speak Spanish with my husband on a daily basis. So it's something that actually recently I've started working on again. Um, because once I came and I was sort of immersed and I became, I could communicate and understand, um, I never really pushed myself to read or write in Spanish. Um, so that is something I'm working on right now, but it, it's still a challenge for me. But I love that like lifelong learner kind of attitude that you have. And I think in my case too, like I could definitely work on the written part of Spanish because yeah, I feel like that's something I didn't study and the spoken part comes easier, but that's awesome that you're still working on that. And as a mom too, just to show your girls that we're always learning no matter how old we are or what stage of life we're in. So now teaching in California for four years, you kind of talked about where you were teaching the school demographics. 
And now you've been in Mexico for, is it 14 years? Is that right? Or 15? Yeah, 13, 14 years, something like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because I believe we moved to Mexico around the same time. Um, mm -hmm. How is teaching in Mexico different than the four years you taught in California? Well, my experience teaching in Soledad at that public school, um, it was, I guess, intense would be the way to describe it. I mean, as a new teacher, it's a lot, like just figuring out all the things with teaching, but especially in a po population that's learning English as a second language and from uh, a lower, you know, socioeconomic, um, you know, lifestyle was, it was intense. I mean, I was the only teacher that those kids had throughout the day. I was with them from eight o'clock to, to three o'clock in the afternoon. And um, I was there, you know, PE, art, computer, whatever I could get to those things, you know, but yeah. mainly it was teaching them how to read um, from more of a scripted type program. Um, and it was something that those kids were always on my mind, you know, it was like mm -hmm. very, it was a very kind of close relationship that I had with those kids. And I mean, every year, the last week of school, I was, it felt really just hard to say goodbye to those kids. Um, the school that I work at now also has lovely kids who I really enjoy working with, but I'm not their only teacher. They also have a Spanish teacher. They also have activity teachers. And um, so it's, I, I have three, you know, close to three hours of planning time um, where before working in Soledad, I was planning and prepping after school till probably often six, seven o'clock at night. Um, so I feel like I have more of a work-life balance for sure here and now as a mom especially um it's nice to be able to kind of be able to separate myself a little bit more and have more time for for myself and my family yeah no i think you definitely described some of those differences really well and i know we have lots of mutual friends who have taught in the states and they've taught here in mexico and they give us some similar um, stories about some of the differences and the fact that life does feel a bit more balanced here or you can put up those boundaries. So yeah, I love that perspective. Um, thinking about perspectives and thinking about your many years of experience as an educator, we all know that obviously 2020 has been different for all of us, but especially for teachers. Can you give a little um, perspective of what all the behind the scenes work is looking like for teachers right now with e-learning? Yeah, um, I guess in some ways, I think parents might have a better idea of the behind the scenes than they used to, as far as just knowing how difficult it can be, um, even with their one, two, three kids, um, I think they get more of an idea of what it's like to teach a whole you know, classroom full of 20 kids and meet all their different needs and motivate them and all those things. But there's a lot of things I think that um, that parents maybe don't see the whole picture. For example, we're making five-minute lessons uh, where the, the students will watch 
at home. But those five minutes lessons sometimes take hour, hour and a half, up to two hours to make, um, which I think not everybody might realize. Uh, there's so many more meetings. I mean, we have to take the curriculum that we've been teaching and we have to think how can we do it differently in a e-learning way and how can we also um, kind of narrow down the objectives and, and really look at the standards carefully because we don't have the time. Uh, you know, we don't have the kids all day in the classroom uh, as normal. So those kinds of things have been a big challenge, but I've also learned a lot and I feel already now it's, it's a lot different. I feel much more comfortable than I did when we, the first month that we began. But I think the biggest challenge for me comes with being home with my, my daughters who are in first grade and sort of managing their e-learning and also working at the same time. Um, it's just always there's challenges being a working mom, but it was definitely different being able to separate, you know, from eight to two 30, I'm focused on my, my, my job, um, focused on teaching. And then, um, at two 33, then I would focus on being a mom. And now it's just sort of like all combined, you know, throughout the day, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm their assistant teacher, their mom, their <laughs> counselor, their cafeteria worker, their, you know, I'm the janitor, I'm like cleaning up. So it's just all like doing all those different roles um, at the same time, I think, is the most intense thing for me. Yeah, for sure. And I think, yeah, we can all relate to that right now. Um, it's been a lot and there are really no boundaries right now with the homework life balance. Um, but I do want to say thank you for all the work you're doing as a teacher because, yeah, I'm really seeing teachers just put in so many more hours than normal. And I think a lot of times parents don't always realize that because as parents, we're also feeling super stressed trying to make sure our kids are learning or growing or, you know, advancing as we want them to. But but yeah, no, you're definitely doing some great work there. So thank you for that. Um, I also wanted to ask you, Kristen, a little bit about your story. I know like we've known your family now for many years and I know you met your husband several years ago. Your wedding was one of the best parties that I've ever been to. It was so much fun on the beach. Can you just tell us a little bit about your story meeting Darwin and then what ultimately led you both to decide to stay in Mexico to raise your family and start your life here? Sure. Can you believe that wedding was in two months? It will be 10 years. <laughs> We're almost. It's so crazy. We celebrate our 10 year anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So Darwin and I met actually very soon after I came to, to um, Guadalajara. Um, we met through a mutual friends, another teacher who taught uh, who was new to the school, had met a friend of his. And so we ended up at the same party about a month after I had moved here. But we didn't start dating right away. We would run into each other every once in a while. But in my head, I was only going to come for two, maximum three years. So I wasn't 
you know, thinking about meeting someone, like being in a relationship. It was just more for this experience of, you know, I came here to have an adventure, to learn Spanish, to um, teach in a different kind of school, just to have that experience. And I thought I would go back to teaching in the public schools in, in California. So after about a year of knowing each other, I realized that he was interested in me and I realized, wow, he's this really nice guy and, and we have fun together. Um, so we dated, but after a few months, I actually, I don't know if you remember this, but we broke up. I actually broke up with him because again, I was thinking, what am I doing getting into a, a serious relationship with someone when I'm just going to leave? But when we broke up, it just didn't feel, it felt like a mistake. And I was kind of like, who do I think I am, you know, <laughs> breaking up with this wonderful guy who, um, and at that point I was almost 30 and I knew that I wanted, I did want to get married and have kids and everything. So it just made me kind of question, you know, just sort of think about what I wanted from life and what stage I was in. And then when we got back together after just a few months after that, really, we were engaged. So um, after we got married, it just, I don't think it was ever really a, a question of us moving back to the States, at least it was never plan A, you know, because I, I like Guadalajara. I like living in the city. I like my job. I like our community of friends here, the work-life balance that I was talking about. Um, and for Darwin, it makes a lot of sense for him to live here. He's an architect and now he has his own um, successful business and it would just be much harder for him in the States. Um, so, and now that we have kids, I love that they're able to, we're able to raise them fully bilingually, biculturally. Um, they go to a wonderful school and they're happy. They're happy little girls. So we're all, we're all um, happy living here and we don't have plans to, to move back to the States. Yeah, no, and I love how similar kind of that beginning of your story is to so many of the women that we've met here, how we all kind of thought, I'm only going to go for a couple years and then I'll move on. And there's something, I don't know if it's about Guadalajara or about the community or all the things you just mentioned that really do keep us here. And it is a great place to live and to raise a family. So I definitely agree with all of that. You've mentioned your two amazing and sweet girls a couple times now. Um, it's so funny, Kristen. Just this morning, my kids were pretending to be your daughters. They were playing house. <laughs> they, they love your kids so much, and so do I. But I know that your journey to being a mom wasn't easy and that your story resonates with so many friends and so many of the listeners who have also lost a baby. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that part of your story? Sure, I would be happy to. Um, so after Darwin and I got married, about six months after that, we started um, trying to, to start a family. And I got pregnant pretty, you know, right away. And, um, but towards the end of the first trimester, I had a miscarriage which I didn't realize at that time was so common. Um, now I know that one out of 
five pregnancies and in a miscarriage. And a lot of people that I had never known that that had happened to them, um, they, when they found out that I had had a miscarriage, they started sharing that with me. So I was just like amazed how common it was. And I was also surprised at how painful it was. I mean, uh, I was only a few, had only known I was pregnant for a few weeks, but it was probably, you know, one of the hardest things, probably the hardest thing that I've emotionally had to deal with in my life, which, you know, shows that I have a pretty privileged, I've led a pretty privileged life, but it was very painful. It was, it was really hard. And then when we started trying again, it didn't happen right away. And um, now I know so many people that are, that, their journey was years and years of infertility, but mine was exactly a year after trying again for the second time. But it felt like it felt like a really long time and it felt really hard. Like I was sort of obsessed with it and it, it was just something that was really difficult and painful. But I think now looking back, um, I think when we first were trying to get pregnant, I felt maybe a little ambivalent about it because I think as a teacher, we know what a huge decision it is and how much it's going to change your life to to have a child. And so I wanted it, but I was also a little bit nervous or hesitant. But I think losing that first pregnancy really showed me or really made me want it all the more. And it also made me more compassionate um, to other people who have lost um, pregnancies and who've also struggled with infertility. Yeah, for sure. And as you said, I think the more and more people talk about miscarriages, the more and more um, we realize how common it is, like you mentioned, and how much pain it truly does bring. Um, into people's stories. And so thank you for sharing that. And then when you got pregnant again, you found out you were pregnant with twins, which was a huge surprise, right? It was. I mean, we found out 12 months, you know, after trying for the second time after having the miscarriage. And I remember I found out that I was pregnant on the day that Darwin had an appointment to go in and do the first initial testing for infertility. Um, so, and then finding out a week or two later when we had the doctor's appointment that I was pregnant with two babies, it just was really unbelievable. It was, I never, ever thought that I, you know, it just never occurred to me that I would have twins. Um, so it was very surprising. And I think the first couple of weeks I was just sort of shocked and like, nobody asked me if I wanted, you know, it's kind of like, how did this happen? But, um, now I think it is a gift. I think it's been, um, I mean, I don't have anything to compare it to because I just have those two, my two girls, but it has, you know, it definitely had its challenges at the beginning and either one of them were great sleepers and, you know, breastfeeding two babies at the same time. I mean, there was definitely some challenges, but I think now we're really just blessed. Um, they have such an incredible relationship and bond um, that is really sweet to see. And it's also been nice. Um, 
I think having two kids that are at the same developmental stage is has its benefits and um, they're always have their best friend with them. So now with quarantine, yeah, sometimes they say they miss school and stuff, but I think it's so much easier for them that they have each other. Um, and even with e-learning and everything, they just like have their, their, their best friend with them all the time, which makes it really nice. Yeah, no, and I love that. And like I said, I love your girls so much. They're the sweetest ever. And they're so good with my kids who are younger. Um, but I still remember, I was just thinking about this when we went to visit you when the girls were just, I don't even know if it was a week or maybe 10 days old or I don't remember, but I just remember that picture of how little they were, <laughs> you know, and just how fast it seems that time has gone now that they're turning seven this week, right? That's right, on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, as a mom of twins, do you find anything about parenting, maybe, I don't know, different or curious that you'd like to share? I know that in your case, um, like you just said, this is your only experience, but I always appreciate your parenting insight because you are raising two beautiful, strong, and lovely girls. And as they are a couple years older than my kids, I've gone to you many times over the years um, just asking for advice. But how do you find raising twins? Yeah, um, I guess I mentioned a few things. I just think their bond that they have is just amazing sometimes. Of course, they fight like any other people. But in general, they get along so well and they really understand each other in a way that sometimes I don't even um, know them. You know, they just it's, it's incredible. And they've always had someone. They've always had their sibling there. It wasn't like two years later, you know, or or even a year later that the other one came. So they 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 are just so comfortable with each other um, and. It's, I really hope that they are always as close you know, when they grow up because it is really special. And I think they already realize how lucky they are to have, to have that. Um, and they're thankful for the other one. I think too, like always being able to do things, reading books um, at the same level, you know, they're always at the same developmental stage. And so doing activities with them, reading books with them is always maybe easier because they're both at the same, you know, we can do the same activity that would, that they're both into at the same time. I did when they were really little, I almost, I did want to have a third child for a while. And I think part of it was, it just felt like it was all going by so fast. And I didn't uh, maybe get to have those one-on-one -on -one moments that, that I would have get to have that I would have had if they had not been twins. Um, but I think, like I said, they have a closeness and maybe the three of us have, have a closeness that we wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah, and I was thinking about that because I've heard you say that in one way or another um, over the years. But something that I always appreciate, Kristen, when you do give advice is especially when you know, I was dealing with a newborn or a toddler and maybe I was stressed or having a long day. Um, 
you would always put things into perspective for me and just remind me that the years go so fast. And I feel like that's something that I've always seen you doing is like cherishing each and every stage. Because as you said, you have like double the, I don't even know how to explain that, but you like you're going through all these stages at these exact same time. And so you've always told me like, just, you know, you're gonna miss these moments, like cherish whatever the season is, even if it's hard. And so I appreciate that about you. Yeah, um, and at the same time, I do think that's true, but I also think sometimes we minimize, I mean, I knew what I was getting into sort of with parenthood, but it's even, you can't know how hard the hard moments are until you're experiencing them. And I also think, <laughs> yeah. That's okay to realize that it is hard, but I think now looking back, it's like, how did I even do that? Like, I really didn't sleep and I really, <laughs> you know, had to get up and go to work, but, you know, for years, like really didn't sleep well. And somehow I was able to find the beauty in those, those times too. And they go by slow and, you know, the nights are slow, but then the years kind of fly by Go fast. Now, this isn't something I'd asked you about before, but have you found being a twin mom, like, is there a pretty big community of other, like, twins? Like, do you know? I'm just curious. This is totally off script. but Because <laughs> um, I think I remember you mentioning, like, you were part of different Facebook groups or something um, for parents who were raising twins. Yes, there is. I'm still a part of that group. I don't, I don't um, post very much on it, but I do find it. I do check it, and I do um, enjoy sort of being part of a little club of um, women who have that sort of unique life experience of raising twins and kind of understand that it, how hard it can be in times, but also how amazing it can be and special it can be no for sure um yeah no and i i know i've said this multiple times but as a family we appreciate you guys so much you've been such great friends uh over the years and i know that obviously the pandemic and quarantine has been hard on all of us just having to be socially distant and especially i feel like here our community in Guadalajara, we're so used to social events and getting together all the time. Um, it's been really hard. So I just wanted to ask you, what do you miss most about pre-COVID life? And what do you think the first thing, um, or what's the first thing you're gonna do once we have a vaccine? Yeah, I don't know. I think there's, there's different answers I could give to that. But the first one that comes to mind is I kind of miss giving hugs and a kiss on the cheek and um, the kind of the physical contact. Cause even now I have gone on some play dates to the park and things like that. And so it's nice, but I think especially here in, in, in Guadalajara, we're so used to greeting each other with a hug and a kiss on the cheek and just that physical um, kind of connection and being able to sit next to someone and really like look them in the eye. I think, Right now, I, I miss that the most. 
Yeah, for sure. It it does feel weird and it feels awkward now. <laughs> like when we when we do see people because we do try to keep our distance and yeah, there's no more greeting like we're used to for sure. Um, well, thank you so much, Kristen, for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Don. It was my pleasure, and I've enjoyed listening to your other <laughs> to your other episodes with people that I know, but getting to find out more about them and their life stories and perspectives. So thank you. No, thank you so much. If you enjoyed today's episode and if you were encouraged by the message, I would love to hear from you. Please subscribe, leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Take a screenshot and post it to Instagram and tag me so that we can keep growing together. And until next time, with heart and humility, embrace la musica.